0: Hey, today uh, we're in our second series, second week of our series um, talking about radical generosity, so I'm really excited that you joined us. Uh, We're going to look at Luke 6, 36 through 38, so would you just follow along with me in the scripture? It says, therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will um, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So this scripture is talking about resources, but it is also a principle that applies to every area of our lives. In fact, it's talking about forgiveness, mercy, understanding, generosity. Jesus is basically saying, uh, whatever you give is going to be given back to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Uh, According to uh, these instructions in the Old Testament, this is kind of where this comes from, the farmers in Israel were instructed to leave uh, the grain in the corner of their field for the poor to glean. And so uh, they would would have their field and they would leave in the corners of their field grain that the poor were allowed to come and glean. And so each year at harvest time, there were two sets of harvesters in the field. There were the primary harvesters in the middle of the field who were being paid um, to bring in the crop. They were the ones that that was their job, that they would go and and that they would um, gather the grain from the middle of the field. And then there were the poor people who were in the corners of the field who were harvesting to feed themselves and their families. So one was doing it for a wage, and one was doing it so that they could feed their families. It was much more of a weight of whether they, how much that they um, gathered. And so where this sort of scripture is talking about Is that the primary harvesters in the middle of the field, um, they would just go put it in a basket, carry it over to the barn or to the wagon or wherever, and dump it out and go fill another basket. I mean, they were getting paid by the hour. So it didn't matter how long it took them to get the the amount. It didn't matter. They were going to get everything they were going to do. They were going to bring it back to the the barn or the wagon, and that was what they were going to do. But the poor people, they had one chance. They were working in the corner of the field, and they probably came from from a really far away. Probably the field was nowhere near their home. They probably walked several miles to get there. They probably had one day or one shot to do it. They knew they would get one turn. This was just one time of the year. And so for them, however much they could fit in their basket, that was basically life or death for their family. And so they didn't want a partial measure They didn't want a half measure, they wanted a full measure. So here's a modern day example. My husband uh, just went on a trip for CAELFA, he's training uh, to be a a leader, uh, an internship leader, and I was packing his bag, I know, okay, I was packing his bag, but for him to go on the plane. And, you know, now they charge $50 uh, uh, or so for a bag. You you don't just get to take it for free, you know, on the trip. And so... um, We don't want to pay for more than one bag. So so I rolled those t-shirts up as small as I could get them, you know? And I'm like Tetrising the exact, how many pairs of shoes do you need? Seriously. You know, and I'm trying to put them in there so that there's only one bag and it's underweight. Because we only have one chance to get everything we need. We don't want to pay more than $50. I need to use the full measure of the bag, okay? And so much like the harvesters, they would press it down into their basket. They would compress the grain together. Then they would top the basket off again and they would shake it to make sure that all the air bubbles were out and the the air spaces between the grains. And then they would pour as much more as they could on the top until it was spilling over on every side. And that is the basket of grain they would take home to their family. And so that's what the scripture is talking about. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. That's the word picture here. It's one thing to receive a free basket of free grain, but it's far better thing to receive a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over basket of grain. And I believe that's why the Lord chose these terms, is that he knew that the listeners in Israel would instantly connect with this point, that, that he knew what he was trying to communicate is that when you give, you are going to get a, a lot of the same in return. That when you give, you're going to get a lot of the same in return. And this is a universal principle with God. In fact, this is the takeaway. I started this a few weeks ago. Uh, Sometimes you leave church and people say, what was it about? And you're like, uh, and I don't want you to do that anymore. I want you to be able to have one thing that you walk away from every week and say, this is what it was about. And here's the takeaway today. You always receive back more than you give. In God's world, you always receive back more than you give. And this works in both camps. Matthew 6 says, If we give judgment, what will we get back? If we give condemnation, what will we get back? But if we give forgiveness, we get an abundance of forgiveness. If we sow love, we will receive an overflowing harvest of love. And so God, the message of Jesus is this. Give. Give what you have Give of your resources because radical generosity means that as you give, you will always get more back. Radical generosity is a core value of our church and that's why we're taking a few weeks to really look at it and think about it. But what the scripture is saying is give to those who ask of you. Give to those who can't pay you back. Give love to those who don't deserve it. Give mercy to those who wrong you. Give the kind of treatment that that you would hope to receive from others. Give, 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 give. That's what the scripture says. And then he says, oh, and by the way, when you do, your heavenly father will make sure that you get much more in return, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Last week, we talked about how it's not about how much you give. It's about how you give it. And the Lord is so much more concerned about our hearts. We can't give because we want to get. That's a backwards motive. It's true that every time we give, God's going to give us more. That's what the scripture says. But a a focused heart, a properly focused heart, is more excited about the giving part than the receiving part. And that's a heart motive that only God can judge. Because you could secretly feel, I'm going to give because I'm hoping that I get it back tenfold. But that's between you and the Lord. But as you just continue to give, the the, the part about giving should be much more exciting than the promise that's attached to it that you'll receive. And I think the main obstacle that we have in giving abundantly is really wrestling with our own heart. Our own heart gives us all kinds of trouble. It, it, It just gives us all kinds of trouble. And we have to really wrestle with our own heart so that it's properly focused. Because the truth is, we have naturally selfish hearts. We have naturally selfish hearts. We are all, we're selfish. Our our default condition of our heart is to hoard and avoid sharing with anyone. Our default condition is to take care of ourselves at all costs, to get our own, to get what we need first. That is our natural response. And so therefore, to give radically, to give generously, we actually have to act against our natural instincts. And that is really hard. But here's something. And when I, when I learned this about myself, it became a marker for me in my spiritual life. You can probably be sure that the first thoughts you have about giving are the flesh ones. So, for example, when someone says, Hey, I um, am raising support, I'm going on a mission trip. Would you give? And your first thought is, yeah, I don't think we can afford that. That's probably the flesh thought. Or when you see a need and you think, man, I just wish someone would step in there and help that person. I mean, not me. I don't have enough money. But if someone else would see this need, that's probably your flesh thought. And until you put your heart in those thoughts and surrender to Jesus, then your selfish heart is probably the one speaking the loudest. Now, that's just real talk right there. And so inversely, if you start thinking that you should give radically, it, that's probably from the Holy Spirit, because that is not a natural thought for us. If you keep thinking about giving to someone's mission trip, or a family who has need, or a neighbor who just had a loss in their life, or, or a project that, that the church is committed to, and you can't get that off your mind, that is probably not your natural self. That is probably the Holy Spirit of God. So pay attention to that voice, because every time you act on that, you fine-tune your ear to the Holy Spirit, and you will begin to hear him more clearly. God says, I want to deal with your selfish heart. I want to make you like me. I want to make you a giver, because you are a steward of all this stuff, not an owner. We are born selfish, but I believe we can be born again generous that we can be born again generous, and that our hearts can turn from our natural instincts of holding and hoarding and making sure that we're taken care of and turn outward into who God wants us to give and be. All right, secondly, here's some more good news. We have naturally ungrateful hearts. <laughs> we have naturally selfish hearts, and we have naturally ungrateful hearts. And it takes a lot of work for our hearts to stay grateful. It really does. I want to bring us to Deuteronomy 15.15. 15. It says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. And that is why I give you this command today. So why did God instruct Israelites to remember when they were slaves? It kind of seems odd. God is the one who who took them out of slavery. He's the one who redeemed them from slavery. He says, you're not going to be slaves anymore. So why does he say, hey, remember, remember when you were slaves? because it would fill their hearts with gratitude for what he had done for them. Every once in a while, in worship or in my prayer time, my past comes to mind. Mistakes I've made or failures or the way, I, the way I've spoken to someone or the way I made somebody feel and, and they come to mind, and I don't believe that the Holy Spirit is bringing that to mind to make me feel guilty or condemned. God doesn't do that. But he knows that if I remember what God has saved me from, it will produce gratitude. If I remember where I had been, if I remember where I would be without God's divine direction and grace in my life, that it will produce gratitude. Maybe you were on a road toward heartache and self-destruction, but God saved you from what could have been. When you realize that God spared you and saved you our heart can overflow with thankfulness toward him. And I just want to encourage you this week to just start thanking God for what you have. Just start thanking him. As you're driving in your car, just thank God you have that car. It might not be the newest car or the best car or, or, or your perfect car, but it's yours. It's your car. And so just start thanking God for that. Or when you're folding laundry, just, just start thanking God for those clothes that you have. That, that you've got that sweater, and it, because it is still cold, and it is February here. That, that you have those shorts that you will wear someday, maybe. Or maybe when you're picking up after your family, you're, you're packing your husband's suitcase, even though he's 37. You're, uh, you're, you're, you're cleaning up the dishes after your roommate. Just thank God that you have that stuff to steward. And you know what? God has entrusted you with what you have. That's the truth. You might want more. That furniture might look way better in the the ad than you have. But you have what you have. God has entrusted you with what you have. And the discipline will help your heart stay grateful. When we are grateful, we are generous. When we are grateful, we are generous. And I believe that genuine gratitude to God is a rare and powerful thing. And that we, when we maintain an unselfish and a grateful heart, it will enable us to give generously. And Jesus is looking for people with the kind of heart that he can trust with his resources. Jesus is looking for people with the kind of heart that he can trust with his resources. Will you be someone he can trust? In fact, right now in this moment, I, I just want you to, just between you and God, ask God right now, am I someone that you can trust with your resources? Am I someone that you can trust that when you ask me to give, I'm going to give? A- am I someone that, that when you give me something, I'm going to be faithful with what you've given to me? And I pray that the Lord would speak to you even right now. If like, hey, this is an area where you need to work on. Or, or, or here's something you're doing really well with. You know, it's interesting. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, um, God provided for them in miraculous ways, if you remember. He sent manna. On the ground, which was kind of like bread, and that's what they would eat. It was just enough for every day. He had water come out of a rock. That doesn't naturally happen, but he knew they needed water, so water came out of a rock. He had he had this cloud that was the perfect HVAC system. Gordy Cray never had to fix this one. I'm telling you. It 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 kept them cool in the day, and then a fire kept them warm at night. God literally, with the elements, Allowed them to be perfectly taken care of. They needed no resources. And it was this beautiful story of learning to trust God. And you know what the people did? Because they didn't need their resources to eat or to drink or to have shelter, they pulled their resources together and they built a golden calf with their resources. God had been providing for them perfectly, they didn't need any of their wealth or their money. But even so, they lacked so much trust in God that they turned their resources into a golden calf. They melted everything down that was valuable and they made it into an idol and they tried to put their trust in it. All of our blessings from God have the potential to either finance our purpose or become an obstacle to it. All of our blessings from God, they can either finance our purpose Or they can become an obstacle between us and them. And you get to choose. The Israelites got to choose. And I believe that keeping your heart unselfish and grateful will keep you from making the same mistake the Israelites did. They trusted their own wealth, their own resources to protect and provide for them instead of God himself. And God was taking care of them perfectly, And yet they used their own resources to trust in something else. And before you kind of maybe laugh at how could they possibly do that, I think it's something we do all the time, is that God is asking us to trust him, to trust him, to trust him. And we just keep saying, well, I don't know if I can give that much, God, because then what happens if I don't have enough? And there we are, just building with our own resources a golden cow to make sure that we're safe and in, in, in to live as comfortable as we want to. If that hurts, that's from the Holy Spirit, not me. I right, just want to clarify right now. Don't blame, don't blame me. Last week, we talked about the spirit of mammon. If you weren't here, we talked about how ultimately this spirit deceives us into thinking that what I just talked about, that riches will provide everything we need. They'll keep us safe. They'll give us everything we need. People will like us. We can get where we want to go with this spirit of mammon. And I want to follow up with that and just teach for a couple minutes about a few other spiritual strongholds when it comes to generosity, when it comes to stewardship. And I want to ask you this morning as I teach about this for the next few minutes to just self-evaluate. Okay? Just self-evaluate You just ask the Lord, do I do that? Is that in my life? Is that how I view generosity? All right, this is how the word of God brings life change is when you apply it to the things in your own life. So remember, strongholds are lies that we believe. And the way that we um, ultimately conquer strongholds, the way we have breakthrough, is we expose that lie to the truth. Okay, so that's what we're gonna do in the next couple minutes here. And so the first is the spirit of poverty, and the spirit of poverty causes us to be ashamed of the blessings from God. If you are a faithful, generous steward, you are going to be blessed. There's no avoiding it. Scripture says so. But if the stronghold of poverty affects you, you will try to hide those blessings for others from others. You'll try to downplay them or avoid discussing them, which ironically may feel like a very humble thing to do, but it doesn't give the glory appropriately back to God. It's like not making God's name famous or not making God's name um, the center. So then the the equally dangerous but converse of the spirit of poverty is the spirit of pride. Pride will cause you to believe that you earned the blessing from God, that that you worked really hard, that you studied really hard, that, that you made good business decisions, And you have your wealth that you have today because of how smart and good and well-decisioned you are. That's a spirit of pride. Now I think it's interesting that these spirits, they work from opposite ends of the spectrum, but they have this common root. Uh, They get us to focus on the stuff rather than on God. They, they, They get us to center the blessing on the blessing rather than the blesser. It allows us to say, okay, we have a lot or we have a little but we're focused on the things and not who gave us the lot or who gave us the little. So let me just give you some examples of how maybe these voices play out in our minds. The spirit of poverty would say, wealth comes from the enemy. If you have a lot of stuff, you are not godly. That is not true. The spirit of pride says, wealth only comes from hard work. That is not true. The spirit of poverty says, you should be ashamed of what you have. That is not true. The spirit of pride says you should be proud of what you have. Nope. Neither of those things. The spirit of pride tries to make people think we paid more for things than we did. The spirit of poverty wants people to think we paid less. They're both equally dangerous. They're both equally traps because they help us, they have us focus on the thing, not on God. Now, it's interesting. We talked last week that God uses things to test our hearts. He uses things to reveal what's inside. And the truth is that God not only uses our stuff to test us, but He uses other people's stuff as well. <laughs> and how we respond to someone else being blessed says a lot about our, the condition of our hearts, says a lot about whether we have a spirit of pride or a spirit of poverty or the spirit of mammon. It says a lot about how we look at things. I think this is amazing. Last week, we talked about what number means test in the Scripture. How many of you remember? Yes, 10. Awesome. Okay, so there are 10 commandments, so there are 10 tests of our obedience. The 10th of the 10 commandments is, you shall not covet your neighbor's things. The 10th commandment of, of 10 and the Greek word translated covet in the Bible is epithymio, it looks like that, which means to set the heart upon. It's actually very similar to the Greek word for lust, which is epithumia. Okay, so that lust, that kind of, kind of set your heart upon. So it's this idea that the ultimate test of where we are, where our hearts are, with generosity and, and, and giving is how we respond to other people getting good stuff. The 10th commandment of 10, the double test, is if we covet other people. If we say they didn't work very hard and they got that, how do they have that? Or how can they afford to go there? That doesn't seem right. The spirit of pride and the spirit of poverty are both derailed by unselfishness and gratitude. And so, our selfish hearts and our ungrateful hearts are what keep us locked up in the spirit of pride and the spirit of poverty. But the way to break free from that is to be grateful and unselfish. It's the opposite. So, if you want to just completely wreck the spirit of poverty or the spirit of pride in your life, then start living selfless and grateful. Start giving, start being radically generous. Now, pride and poverty do have one thing in common. They both always get us to compare ourselves with others. And, and, and when the enemy can get us to do that, we become ungrateful and we become selfish. And it always pushes us to, to lust or covet in some capacity. So, so how do you pass the test of the Ten Commandment? You stay thankful. You stay generous. You hold things with an open hand. You're thankful for what other people have, even if you don't have those things. God rewards good stewardship. And it's interesting because not only will he reward us in this age to come, but now as well. He rewards us later when we get to heaven, and he also rewards us now while we're stewarding what we have on earth. And I want to just look at two examples in the scripture to kind of finish us up today. Um, In Luke 19, we find the parable of the ten minas. And in this parable, a man gave one mina to each of his servants and told them to get to work with it. He was testing their stewardship, their faithfulness, their ability. I believe he was testing their gratefulness, their their unselfishness. And as Jesus tells it, when the master returns for an accounting, he um, awards the student, the steward, excuse me, who had done well. Let's look at uh, Luke 19, 17. He says, Well done, my good servant. His master replied, Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. He rewards him. He says, You did well with a little bit, now I'm going to give you a lot. And then the man addresses the servant who put away the mina and didn't do anything with it. And the parable reads in uh, verse 24 He said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him, give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, He already has 10. And he replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And so the scripture is showing exactly where we started in Matthew 6. That God, when we give, gives back, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. Here's another example in the scripture, and I love this one, in Acts 2 We've studied that a lot this year. We find that the spirit-filled Christians are giving away their possessions. They're giving away their goods. They're giving away until everything, uh, everyone had everything they needed. And in response to that, miracles were happening. Do you think that was coincidental? Miracles were happening. Generosity is connected to breakthrough. I am convinced that being generous prepares our hearts for God to move, because in order to have a generous heart, we have to be unselfish and gra- and, and grateful, and that prepares our hearts for God's breakthrough spiritually. I think sometimes we put giving in this category over here, like this checkbox. Okay, we do it, but like the miracles and, and, and the other things that we need in our life and the healing and the relationship restoration, all of that is over here. That's in another checkbox. And God is saying, no, no, it's all connected together because it's all about your heart. And the way that we can discipline our heart and the way that our hearts can be ready for breakthrough is that they're, they're unselfish and, and grateful, And when we make that happen in our lives, it's because we're being generous. Do you see the connection? How how it all circles back together. It's interesting, Jesus spent 30% of his time teaching on money and how our hearts should interact with it. And I believe that it must just be that important. It must just be that important that we make sure we're positioning our resources in the right view of our life because they get in the way of even the breakthrough. God, I thank you um, that you don't have to come, but you always do. I thank you that the Spirit of God is here this morning. I thank you that you taught 30% of your time here about giving and about generosity and about our resources, and I believe that you taught us that because it matters, and it's connected to every area of our life. And so I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would show us, uh, would would help us self-evaluate God, that we could reject the spirit of poverty. We could reject the spirit of pride, God. We could reject the spirit of mammon, God, that all of our resources we could just steward and not own. And God, that we could hold them with an open hand and we could be willing to um, do what with whatever we have with what you want. God, I even pray that you would call some people in this room to some very radical things, God, J- just to prove that we can never outgive you, that your scripture says, when we give, that you press it down, shake it up, run it over, just like the Israelites did, the, the poor people and the Israelites and the, and the farms, God, that we would have that moment and understand, Lord, that you will do with your resources something incredible when we loosen our grip. God, we love you, and we give you praise, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: Stewardship A steward is defined as a manager, a treasurer, or one who takes care of the master's business until he returns. When we make the commitment to follow Christ, we become stewards in His kingdom, managers of the resources that God grants to us. Psalms 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and the faithfulness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. When we understand that everything belongs to God and that we are appointed to manage His resources, ownership ends and stewardship begins. So what are we actually stewards of? God grants everyone different amounts of resources to use, but we all have the ability to use what we have to enhance the kingdom. There are things like our time, talents, our bodies, the gospel, opportunities, our finances, and much more. Imagine that you stored your resources in a bucket. At any time, you can add to and take away for various things. When you get paid or have a day off, you put those resources in your bucket. Perhaps you have to pay some bills or you want to buy someone lunch. Some will have to be taken out. Either way, there is a supply and demand. When we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, though, a new source comes into play. We no longer own the bucket. We no longer own the resources. We do, however, have access to them and decide how to use them. We are now stewards. Imagine all the amazing things we can do now. Think of all the people we could bless and all the ministries that could flourish. God's love could infiltrate every facet of our lives. Unfortunately, things don't always play out that way. We have a natural tendency to revert back to an ownership viewpoint over these resources that we're blessed with. The common misconception is, I earn this, I deserve this, this is mine. This mindset puts a lid on our bucket. We shut God out. This is the basis of poor stewardship. Now, that's not to say that you can't still do great things with what you have, but you have removed God from the system and now have some resources being wasted we aren't able to fully utilize all of God's blessings. We cannot serve two masters. On the contrary, however, when we remove the lid and submit fully to serving the Lord in every aspect of our lives, the dynamic of stewardship changes drastically. Our God is not a thief. These offerings, tithes, and sacrifices that we give to him are going to be blessed and used in amazing ways to transform lives for the kingdom. He uses ordinary people to become extraordinary in a broken world that needs a foundation of love. By offering ourselves completely to His will, we allow the Holy Spirit to work transparently through us in a powerful way. Lives will be changed, miracles will happen, and ultimately broken people can learn that they are sons and daughters of a loving God. We will become great stewards. Our buckets will always be changing. In some cases, they will be empty. In others that will overflow. In all cases, God will use us to do incredible things. Stewardship is a choice. Let's choose God.